You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast, our 13th and final post-game podcast of 2019. Hope you've been along for the ride all the way through. And we've got plenty to talk about here in Texas. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz coming to you from downtown Dallas. We have uh, left AT&T Stadium, which is a sight to behold in its own right. But today in particular, it was the 84th Cotton Bowl and the first 83. No one put together as much points as we saw between Penn State and and Memphis, a 53-39 victory for the Nittany Lions. James Franklin now 2-1 in New Year's Six Bowl games with the Nittany Lions. And an 11-win season. Uh, we got a lot to get into, but at the end of the day, points, points, and more points. Yeah, it. Uh, we got an, inter- an entertaining football game out of it. I mean, I know it was not the prettiest game that has ever been played, and there's plenty that we can take away and say, hey, Penn State's got to get this uh, taken care of. they got to fix this, but... At the same time, 53 points. I mean, it's a post-game or a post-season uh, game. It's fun. Uh, Penn State did what they had to do. They more than went out and covered. Um, they almost got to the over by themselves. So uh, it was a, a fantastic uh, experience uh, to play in that stadium, to watch that sort of thing. And, you know, they got to be happy with 53 points. I mean, they haven't scored uh, over 35 or they haven't scored 35 since homecoming against Purdue. So to go out there to, to sort of hit on all cylinders in certain aspects of the game, uh, a really good way to go out for Penn State. Again, there have been 84 Cotton Bowl Classics. Uh, this one is the most touchdowns. I, sh- I should say no, there's never been more touchdowns scored than Penn State. They, they tied a couple other teams, but seven total touchdowns. Ties the all-time record for this game. Five on the ground. We'll get to that. What a day for this rushing attack. One through the air. Sean Clifford to Jahan Dotson on a short pass. And then the big interception return, which really changed this game and uh, you know threw in Penn State's favor, and they never really let up on that momentum. Uh, but, Sean, the offensive stats tell a lot of the story. Uh, <laughs> 542 total yards for Memphis, 529 uh, for Penn State. Penn State averaged 7.2 yards per play, 6.3 for Memphis. And you kind of got the sense that maybe this would be a last possession wins it kind of game. But I think if we're talking about the offensive productivity, we got to start with, with Penn State here. They have never run for more yards in a bowl game than they did this afternoon in Arlington. They finished with 396 yards on the ground. Journey Brown, an individual Penn State postseason record, 202 rushing yards, two touchdowns, Took him 16 carries to get there. Not a game for defensive purists. We'll say that. Yes. Uh, it was not to, not the prettiest game on either side uh, 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 on the defense. Man, uh, Penn State ran at will when they decided to run. Uh, eight of their first nine plays were not runs. Uh, the first run was Journey Brown's 32-yard touchdown, which was a beast of a run. Uh, Journey Brown was fantastic today. Offensive MVP, and there was no doubt about it. Uh, aside from maybe Riley Patterson, the kicker from Memphis, who was just awesome as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Journey Brown, that's the that's the way that he's been coming around the second half of the season. Uh, you know, he's been doing it with tough yards. He's been doing it with big runs. He had the 56-yard touchdown run in the second quarter, just kind of opened things up. But that's the thing. Tyler Bowen came into this game, didn't really seem to have a feel early. Penn State uh, throw, trying to throw the ball around a little bit. 
Not much luck with that. Had a couple drops, had a couple bad throws, had got lucky a couple times with with some balls that should have been picked. Uh, Sean Clifford, obviously not his sharpest game. Uh, but, man, it, it just seemed like anytime they wanted to run the ball, they could do it at will, and that's what they needed to stick to. Got away from it sometimes, but that's what they needed to stick to, and that's where they ended up. Freshly hired offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka was one of the first assistant coaches off the bus behind James Franklin. A couple days ago, we thought he'd be in Tampa coaching with Minnesota against Auburn. Things change fast in college football, but I'll tell you what. He took a backseat today. Tyler Bowen got his opportunity, and now Bowen will again take a backseat. Go back to being the tight ends coach, offensive recruiting coordinator. But when it comes time to, for him to sit down at the bargaining table, whether it's with Penn State or another opportunity down the road, he can point to this performance for Penn State uh, with a lot of pride. He put up 53 points. Penn State was averaging 34, averaged, uh, I think, uh, or, or he put up 125 more yards than Penn State had averaged all year. Where he got it done, though, was first down. I mean, 356 yards on first down, 10.5 yards per carry. Now, you know, you had some big runs in that, the 56-yarder by Journey Brown. Um, and then you had five first down touchdowns. They got it done on first down. They were able to to, to move the sticks right away. Um, really a, a phenomenal approach. Like I said, he didn't fall in line right away. He didn't get in the rhythm right away. They got into some tempo. They did some things that uh, you know kept Memphis from getting to their checks and doing some things. And, and when they did that, Memphis was really out of place. Well, Brown was outstanding, as we said, and, and it's been the, the, the one of the biggest stories of this Penn State season is his final five game stretch, four 100 yard games in the mix. Again, he sets a bowl record for Penn State. They've had several. Uh, just just a tremendous history at running back. So to own a record like that speaks volumes. But uh, across the board, Noah Kane comes back. We, we talked about this in the pregame. Would he get a couple series? He got a lot more work than I anticipated. 15 carries, 92 yards. He reached the end zone twice. But you want to get a little bit of a sense of how this running back room functions and why this has worked in these 13 games this year and, and why, to be honest, it doesn't necessarily seem like there's any imminent transfer portal entries coming out of this group. Noah Kane said after the game he believes Journey Brown, with what he accomplished in the final month of the season, has earned the right to dictate when he is on the field. And for Noah Kane to say that, a guy who had everything in front of him, led Penn State in rushing through seven games, got his first start in game number eight, and then got hurt, and he was hung up for, for much of the last six, seven weeks. For him to come out and say, you know, Journey has put it out there. The proof the proof is there. He served up the evidence. He is the lead guy, and we got to follow his lead. Well, he's been your offensive MVP for the second half of the season, and, and frankly, it's not really that close. So uh, really impressed what Journey was able to do. Also, Ricky Slade had a Good for Ricky. Nice, little, yeah. uh, nice little performance today. Devin Ford got in the end zone. Uh, they pulled back the design runs on the quarterback, and obviously Sean Clifford's health had a lot to do with that, but at the same time, I mean, it kind of kind of helped. I mean, they, we've been talking about how Penn State has struggled with the, you know, just finding its rhythm in the run game. But to, to take a little bit off of Clifford's shoulders, I think certainly helps them. It also helped the running backs get into a groove, and, and they certainly ran with it. They did. And, and you mentioned Ricky Slade. He had probably, you know, his best performance we've seen in a while. And, and J1 Slater said he's very proud of how Ricky went through the roller coaster ride of, of this 2019 season and how he finished. Still feels like he is going to be a very valuable asset a major playmaker for Penn State moving forward. There were some moments of doubt this season, but got to be happy for him to punctuate his season with on a high note. In terms of Sean Clifford, you, know, you certainly can't say he punctuated his year on a high note. He'll tell you he's happy to pick up win number 11, be a Cotton Bowl uh, champion and all that, but uh, 11-20, 133 yards passing, a very bad interception, a, a, a few clunkers for sure that came out of his hands that, that cost Penn State when maybe they couldn't move the chains. 
Again, I think it's important we go back to what exactly is going on around him in the passing game right now. Where is that? Um, but it's got to start with him. He's got to be the catalyst. He's got to be able to make that move. And there were some shots that he should have fit, and he didn't. We don't know where his health was, but you know, indications are that, that he was in a pretty good place. But I think it's very fair to say for as much as we can talk about the, the crescendo that this backfield had as, as a running group and what Journey Brown did and, and what Noah Kane did coming back, uh, the it kind of trended in an opposite direction the final five, six weeks of this season where uh, s- some issues reared their head. And, of course, they got a new quarterback's coach, uh, Kirk Shiraka. He was on the sideline today. He's got plenty of uh, of notes already that are live in person on Sean Clifford, and, and he'll get to know Will Levis and the rest of that cast. But to me, Sean, you know, going into the offseason, and we'll talk a lot about this, it starts with Sean Clifford. If he can take that leap like we saw Tanner Morgan do with Minnesota this year under uh, Kirk Shiraka's direction, uh, th- th- this team really could challenge for for a playoff uh, berth and, and maybe beyond that. That's the difference. I mean, we saw what, what Penn State was up against when they were playing against a playoff team like Ohio State, what they had at quarterback. There is no bigger offseason storyline than Sean Clifford's development under Kirk Shiraka. So we'll see what happens with, with that. I mean, it's he's got to be better. I mean, he can't be 11 to 20. Um, you know, I think that, you know, he made some plays early in the season. People got excited. Um, he's got to continue to grow because there's a long way to go between where he's at and where they need him to be for to be a playoff team. You said people, I got excited. And 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 I still think, you know, Sean Sean's the guy is, is always and That's talking. why I'm here to keep you grounded. <laughs> and we yeah, we take we take our turns and and Sean, I think, you know, he'll own he'll own the, the struggles, but ultimately, yeah, I think that's going to separate Penn State from from being that you know, 9, 10, 11 win team uh, to maybe go and trying to get 12, 13 wins and, and you know where that could lead you. So trust me, we got a long time to talk about Sean Clifford. He's not going anywhere. Uh, in terms of chunk plays, well, it, it was all about the ground game. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you've got 15 chunk plays, 11 of them coming on the ground, that's usually just kind of it's flip-flopped. I mean, Memphis had 13. Most of theirs came through the air. Uh, but yeah, whenever you're getting those kind of chunks on the ground, that means you're moving the sticks and you're scoring points via the ground game. So, I mean, how many times they announced in the press box today, every time there was a first down, whether it was by rush or by pass, by the end it was like first down by rush and first down by rush and just kept going. So it was, uh, it was entertaining to see from that aspect. So they won the chunk play battle. Uh, the red zone was interesting, very interesting. Penn State's defense certainly far from its best today. But Memphis 5 of 6 in the red zone, 3 touchdowns, 2 field goals, and an interception. Penn State 5 of 5 in the red zone, 4 touchdowns, and a field goal. But but really, I mean, those you add, you know, you take away one of those field goals and make it a touchdown. Memphis settled several times uh, for, for 3 points instead of uh, ultimately coming away with, uh, with 7. Yeah, and and by the way, Riley Patterson. Oh, he was I mean, Memphis's kicker. If they win that game, it's a you got hard pressed to not make him MVP. For those who weren't following along, maybe didn't catch this, his six field goals were the most ever in a bowl game. I mean, we're talking not just the Cotton Bowl, we're talking every bowl. The Cotton Bowl record he hit at four. That was easy peasy. And by the way, four of his six came from forty or beyond. But before we move past that, Jake Pinniger. Really important 45-yard field goal. When things were hanging in the balance, Memphis was making its moves. It seemed like Penn State was going to continue to struggle to stop them. Pinnaker did step up with his loan opportunity. I believe that was from 40, 42, 45 yards. Um, and he was called upon. But, but man, Riley Patterson was a major difference when Penn State was able to do the bend but don't break thing. He, he stepped up and converted. In the Joe Lorig Bowl, uh, both <laughs> both special teams were pretty good. The, uh, punting for Memphis was uh, was something that really, really Adventure. killed them in the second yeah. quarter. 
because you know you're trying to flip the field and all of a sudden you're punting it out of bounds and Penn State takes over in Memphis territory. So, but other than that, very uneventful game on special teams regarding returns, coverages, things like that. Both very uh, sound units on both sides. Uh, Penn State's played well. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's get to that defense. Defense was was not great, not great, uh, not good, not uh, not anything uh, except Micah Parsons, who was the best player on the field. He was every bit the All American that he was just voted. Uh, he was a game wrecker for Penn State. It was the best individual defensive performance I've seen, and 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 this is a small sample size compared to you and and our other esteemed colleagues on the beat. But in three season covering Penn State. Uh, it was just remarkable to see what he did. And you can imagine if he throws that touchdown into the mix and he's always talking about how he's got a big touchdown celebration plan, but holy crap. Let, oh man, that one went right through his hand. Oh, yeah, man. That, and he, that that's was the rough. thing. He played this game and he was phenomenal and he let a couple plays get away. And, and he knows that's, it. That's how good, I mean, that's how good he is. I mean, and his he's, teammates he's know. Phenomenal. What you, 14 tackles, yep. uh, three tackles for loss. Two sacks. Uh, two sacks. Very surprised. Uh, I guess, I mean, I guess that was a pick. Uh, Two forced fumble and whatever that was. I mean, that was a turnover force. He was the one on the pressure for the interception for Garrett Taylor. Didn't get really any credit besides a hurry for it, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about Micah Parsons. I mean, he's he, he's putting his stamp on the end of the season to go into next year as the nation's best defensive player. I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to encounter those kind of offseason expectations that... Um, you know, very few and far between you see. I mean, Dominican Sue at Nebraska comes to mind as a player who spent a lot of time being a vocal point. I think more recently, Chase Young is an obvious uh, a guy who, who got a lot of attention during this offseason, lived up to it. Now, Micah, he, he always says he's got a lot of room to grow, and, and, and Franklin and Pry have said the same thing. You're number two at linebacker, and what does he do to cap off a month in which he gets consensus All-American honors and Big Ten linebacker of the year? He goes out and puts on this kind of effort uh, and that's what it, I mean. That's what you love about Micah Parsons. It's it's just it feels like no matter where he is on the on the field when the play starts, he will find a way to 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 go save the day if he needs to. His game speed is ridiculous. There was a time that uh, one of the Memphis running backs was trying to get to the corner, to, trying to get to the pylon. He ran him down, ran him out of bounds. Uh, you know, he, he forced a couple fumbles today. Was all over the place. I mean, if there are all bowl teams, he's going to be at the top of the, of the defensive team. So can't say enough about Micah Parsons. And and there's still improvement to be made. That's the thing. I mean, he's 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 got some room as a linebacker to grow uh, into you know what he needs to do for uh, instincts and things like that. But man, when he closes, he gets there and he gets there in a hurry. To our credit, we didn't bring up Micah Parsons' draft status. Shaka Tony did. And by the way, we'll talk about Shaka Tony's draft status in a moment. But Shaka Tony says he thinks Micah Parsons has a legitimate chance to be considered the, the number one prospect in next year's draft. Hey, he's going to be hard-pressed considering there's a couple guys, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, that teams might covet at quarterback. But he, it is this kind of dream scenario where it's a kid who, who, who grows up in the state, has all that attention. James Franklin offers him as a freshman. Uh, you know, they, they go through this, you know, this dance uh, through the recruitment process. And then he called it a bizarre recruitment to get to this point in year number two, where he's having this kind of performance, the outstanding defensive player of the game in, in a prestigious uh, you know, matchup in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, this is a, a, a perfect example of the five star potential fulfilled. And he's still got at least another season at Penn State. You know, we, we, we do talk a lot. We tend to talk a lot about maybe these five star guys or high four star guys who two, three years into their college careers why aren't they fulfilling expectations? Let's celebrate this. Let's enjoy it. If you're a Penn State fan, you should be absolutely soaking it in because 
Micah Parsons, I think when you look back at it a decade from now, you're going to kind of think of his career as fleeting. He came in like a, like a, you know, a, a guy who was just on fire and, 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 and did his job. And, and then he went on and he did great things beyond. I think, I think he's got a lot ahead of him, but today what we saw was, was just something that was on a whole different level. And I already mentioned the accolades he got this year. Well, I mean, we've seen defensive players take over games, uh, you know, Chase Young is the guy that we're going to keep going back to because he is the top draft prospect, because he is in the conference they see him every yeah. year. You've seen these guys take over games. Penn State needs more of those guys to close that gap with the top four that are playing tonight. So uh, Micah Parsons is certainly pulling his weight, doing his thing. Now this defense... They had a forgettable second half of the season. You remember going back into, you know, probably back into the Michigan game. This was an uh, labeled an elite defense, labeled a, a defense that could contend and be a, a possible playoff defense. They don't look anything like it right now, and they mm-hmm. they could not stop. Uh, you know, they could they could bend and and maybe not break. The six field goals are indicative of that. But tackling, covering, I mean, just. The, you don't know what happened. I mean, it just it, it's just like a dam burst, and all of a sudden you're, you're you're seeing water flow through like crazy. I was wondering when we we're going to turn the corner from Micah's greatness to the overall defensive performance, else, yeah. and we're here now. Um, yeah, I mean, you think about it. Since Halloween, when they resurfaced from that second bye week, went out to Minnesota, got torched by Tanner Morgan in the first half, three touchdowns in that first half. Uh, you know, three of the last five games now, including this one, they've given up at least 330 passing yards today against Brady White. No touchdowns, which is very strange considering uh, his his production. 454 yards Are through the serious? air. 454 yards through the air for Brady White. That's right. I'll, I'll say it twice because apparently that surprised you. But no touchdowns, which is a strange, you know, uh, matchup. But yeah, this is an issue. The two games uh, in those last five where they didn't give up 330 plus yards was Ohio State, where, where the Buckeyes were able to run it very effectively and get up to a big lead, and then Rutgers, and, and Rutgers doesn't pass for 330-plus against anybody, but it's a very clear issue, and, and we talked about lingering stuff for the Penn State passing attack. The defense has a lot you know, a lot more questions than we could have possibly imagined. You know, I think Brent Pry, you know, he... he He's recruited everybody on the roster. Uh, he, he is James Franklin's guy, but you know he's he's gotta you know he, he certainly is gonna go and assess what happened here because um, something something you know went off went off the rails a little bit because as you said you come out of October and you're thinking this defense will 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 provide you with an opportunity and we're in this game thinking. Uh, does Penn State need to score 50 to win? And, and they just about needed to score 50 to win. 450 yards, 39 <laughs> points. I'm, st- I'm still hung up on this. 459, or 450 yards, 39 points, and no passing touchdowns. That's, yeah. uh, that's I mean, that's tough to do. Yeah. That's uh, that's impressive. I, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, this defense, uh, now, now, granted, they came up when they needed to, and they made a couple of plays. Of course, Micah Parsons uh, turning that into a pick for Garrett Taylor. The pick six, which, you know, it, we've said it all year. Penn State looked very close to forcing some turnovers. You sort of saw that in the first half, namely the second quarter. But this one kind of came out of nowhere, and, and Garrett Taylor made the most of it. And then Marquise Wilson. We're, we're, we're going to talk a bunch in the offseason about the secondary. Yep. We're going to talk about whether, you know, if Tariq Castro-Fields is back, you know. But you, you, these these young corners did play well. I thought John Reed played well, by the way, when he was asked to cover in man. Uh, there were some zone issues. The safeties, I think, uh, you know, leave a little bit to be desired. Um, but uh, Marquise Wilson uh, trailing a guy makes a heck of a play and pretty much puts it away for Penn State. 
Yeah, the freshman cornerbacks Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, they were they were actually paired up for significant series there, and then the second and Castro Fields got hurt too. He he was not in the game for much of much of the game. Yeah, and, and and we didn't see a lot of Castro Fields down the stretch. He missed the Rutgers game, banged up. Uh, he's another guy that, that could potentially explore the NFL opportunity if he wants to do that. I don't think he produced the kind of season that he would want to throw out there to the NFL scouts. But again, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. The young stockpile of cornerbacks and and Wilson, Keaton Ellis topping that list along with Joey Porter and and Daquan Hardy coming on strong and a guy like Joseph Johnson's going to be on campus soon. Uh, one of those storylines that, that we'll continue to talk about here on the podcast moving ahead. Really quickly to go back to Garrett Taylor. I mean, you covered his recruitment. It was one of those ones that kind of breaks your heart and uh, a kid who thinks maybe he's got a plan in place, gets hurt, has to reevaluate the situation, ends up at Penn State, kind of a slow start to his career for a guy who was a high four-star prospect, ends up, you know, uh, being entrenched in this defensive rotation, a team captain, and, you know, what a great special moment for him in his final game in an Indy Lions uniform to come up with that interception. I know Jan Johnson was right there too, kind of going for it. Garrett Taylor comes up with comes up with it, and that was really ultimately, um, you know, the, the momentum changer, whatever you want to call it. Penn State later put the game away with a five and a half minute drive that gave them that fourteen point lead. Got the two point conversion, Sean Clifford to Pat Fryermuth after a Kane touchdown. Uh, but before that, that, that preceding touchdown that Garrett Taylor scored. To me, that that's when everything kind of changed, and because uh, for a while it felt like it was going to be a two-point game or a six-point game or a one-possession game all the way down the stretch, and in a game like this where you give up 450 passing yards, you sure as heck don't want to be in a one-possession game in the final stretch. Right, and it's cool to see a senior go out like that. I mean, Taylor, um, you know, I don't think that he had the year that that people thought he was going to have, or he thought that he was going to have. Struggle with uh, you know coverage at times, uh, struggle with tackling uh, today, even struggle with tackling, but. Uh, for him to go out like that's pretty cool. It's uh, he's played a lot of football for Penn State, and uh, you know it's uh, it's me interesting where this safety room stands because that's a, that's a group that needs to improve. I mean, there's uh, Jaquan Brisker, you know, had the pick sort of negated. It was a free play, uh, had had the pick today, but got his hand on a ball. But at the same time, you saw some coverage uh, gaffes back there. So it'd be really interesting to see where where this group is come August, or you know, if any moves are made, or if anybody you know steps up and and, and takes a job from somebody. But but uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that uh, that Garrett Taylor um, uh, touchdown was was absolutely huge because Memphis came out in the third quarter, really put it to Penn State. I mean, they got the turnover, they got some points. Uh, you know, Penn State they couldn't convert as much as they wanted to, but uh, they were right there within a, I think two points uh, in the third quarter. Yeah, twenty eight to thirteen. It looked like Penn State gained some separation. I think it was thirty five twenty. But each time Memphis had an answer to their credit, they looked the part of a twelve win team that was enjoying its finest season in program history and kudos to Silverfield their their head coach it's his first career game in a setting like this I mean you can't really say that Memphis wasn't prepared for this game they lost their defensive coordinator um, you know Penn State I think at the end of the day was was just was just a better program a better team with uh, and they the run game was a separating factor obviously but uh, you know I think a lot of people viewed this game and, and said well this isn't a sexy matchup we're not playing in Alabama we're not playing in Notre Dame Memphis gave gave Penn State about all it could handle, and at the end of the day, uh, you walk away from this and, and you get that Cotton Bowl trophy in, in the Lash Building, and there's a lot to build off. They, uh, Memphis had some dudes, man. Uh, yes, Coxie had eight catches for 132 yards. Kenneth Gainwell is just a he's just a freshman. I think he's a redshirt freshman. He's a redshirt freshman, fourth in the country coming to this game in all-purpose yards, bright future. Seven catches, seventy-eight yards. He also had thirty-four yards and a touchdown rushing. That kid is is going to be very good in that conference. And Brady again, Brady White, a, a player who has surpassed that seven thousand yards in his Memphis career today, and going to be interesting to see what he does with his final year of eligibility. He's transferred one time from Arizona State to Memphis, and 
you know, he's got the connection down at Florida State now. We'll see what he can do. But he was impressive today uh, moving around. Again, Memphis gave them about all they could handle. Uh, and, and this game was reflective of that. It's funny. You had the touchdown uh, touchdown chart in front of you. I thought that was the drive chart because it, it really was just about every drive ended with a score. Um, hey, it, it was, was exciting. It I was mean, awesome. It, it, oh, it was. Gr- I mean, this is going to go down. I think when people kind of this is maybe not to, the one that you want for your blood pressure. No, but this no, is, uh, definitely one that you can close your season with. Hey, I mean, with all the frustration that Penn State fans have had with the offense, without uh, you know, without playing that entertaining brand of football. I mean, this 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 one took you back to 2016, 2017, 28 points in the second quarter. I mean, that was really the hallmark of those teams. Was a lot of points in a little bit of time. So they came out. 28 points, uh, you know, I, I think uh, had the stat 137 points in three New Year's Six games for James Franklin, mm. uh, and 63 of those points come in the second quarter. This is one you don't want to really walk away from because if, uh, if you go out to get a bowl of popcorn or something from the from the kitchen, you might miss some points. Yeah, 28 points in, in the second quarter tied the Cotton Bowl for, for most points in any quarter. Penn State producing that. They're 35 points uh, as well in the first half, second most scored in any half in Cotton Bowl history. Only behind Penn State's 38 back in 1975. You sound like a Cotton Bowl rep. You got <laughs> all the stats. Well, they've, they've been treating us quite well here they, the last they few have, days. They, so. It's been a phenomenal bowl. <laughs> happy phenomenal to pat experience. them back on the back. Uh, great stadium for a team that hasn't won, what, three playoff games since 1996. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's uh, it was a tremendous experience all around. Uh, but uh, I guess back to the game. We should probably get back to, uh, to what we were talking about. Penn State won the turnover battle. Very important, of course, the Marquise Wilson uh, pick. Kind of sealed things up for Penn State, gave them the opportunity to run the clock out. Uh, field position was on Penn State. Now, Penn State or what was in favor of Penn State. Now, it wasn't as big as you would think because Memphis was able to move the ball so well. They ended up in Penn State territory quite often and then, you know, usually kicked a field goal. Very close on chunk plays, but Penn State uh, won that battle. So you win all three of those battles. That's uh, that's ball game. That's a 14-point win for Penn State. That's an 11-win season for Penn State. Going to be a top-10 finish. Going to set them up pretty nicely going into 2020, and you did it uh, on a national stage and gave an opportunity to see, showcase some of your guys for next uh, for next year. Right now still, we're trying to figure out who's going to be back in that uh, in that scene for 2020. Yeah, and, and two guys that were swarmed in the locker room, and, and I was part of the swarming. Uh, KJ Hamler at wide receiver. Actually, you were part of that swarming. And, and I was over at Shaka Tony. I just and, got long arms. I'm just going <laughs> to reach over everybody. So. Uh, go, go, gadget. Uh, but I think w- with those two guys, look, they, they weren't going to tell us right there. If They're, they're going to break that news on their own terms. They're not going to throw it at us, uh, you know, like, like a throwing a stake at a line in the, in, in the cage and letting us just tweet out there. They're going to handle it their way. They'll, they'll probably put out a release in one way or the other. Uh, it's got to be on a graphic or at least the notes app. You it's got to be. But, I, you know, definitely two different approaches to how they handle the questions. You know, yeah. to KJ Handler's credit, I don't know if that's the right word. He's been asked about this a lot more than Shaka Tony has. He was available at the Penn State Media Day um, you know, a week and a half ago or whatever it was, a week ago. Um, and, you know, he was very quick to kind of shut down that conversation and say, you'll find out at the bowl game. And now uh, I believe the phrasing was... Uh, when you all know, you all, you all will know. Uh, so uh, I met it. It was it was very like uh, straightforward. It, it was when you all know, you all. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Should I? No, you're good. You're good. Uh, I'm just. I. You're you're KJ. It, it needs work. It needs work. Oh, oh, um, but oh, okay. KJ. Uh, it was interesting the approach after the game. KJ a little bit more emotional. Shaka seemed to be a little bit more relaxed. Now I know Shaka is Shaka, and that's uh, you know kind of his his thing. But uh, KJ. Of course, for for KJ being the fun-loving guy that uh, 
you know that that we see in the videos and everything like that. He sure hates dealing with the media. So yeah, um, we'll see where that goes in within the next week. We should have answers for those guys. But uh, can yeah. I get a correction real quick? Here's the 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 particular quote. You're gonna try it again. Y'all are gonna see it when y'all see it. All right, good. there you go. That that that's what it was. And Shaka Tony definitely it was a little bit more uh, you know kind of went about uh, his business in a way that. Definitely left the door open. Uh, KJ wasn't going to give anything away on, on which way he's leaning. In fact, he said, "No, I'm not leaning anyway. I need to talk to coach." Uh, you know, Shaka Tony said, "You know, he really can see himself back with this 2020 team." And uh, you know, the way he kind of phrased it was, uh, "He came to this program when they were a seven-win squad. He's seen it develop. He feels like they are in the best place they have been from a from a chemistry standpoint." Clearly, he says. You know, I, he kind of alluded to last offseason and, and how things were different coming out of last year's bowl versus how he feels about this program coming out of this year's bowl. And, um, you know, he said he loves it at Penn State. And, you know, and, and I just uh, – it's tough. It, it's tough because you don't know what factors are going on in a guy's personal, personal life and you don't know what they're hearing uh, from people beyond the program. Uh, James Franklin, I think, is and, and the staff are going to try to present everything they possibly can in terms of evidence from, from what NFL scouts are, are giving in, in terms of feedback – what maybe they could do to expand on that prospect uh, outlook going into another season. But uh, it's going to be interesting because, you know, if you do lose Shaka Tony, if he does opt to go out and, and, you know, I I think he's got a lot more to build on if he were to come back at Penn State. uh, You're looking at losing two first, you know, two all Big Ten defensive ends. Uh, Certainly, Itor Grossmanos at a different level, uh, consensus first teamer. Uh, Shaka Tony was a second team selection by the coaches. But, you know, you take those two guys away. We've talked about defensive end depth, but... Jason Owe clearly needs to be rounded out quite a bit more. Adisa Isaac coming along strong as a freshman, but he's got a lot of growth he needs to make. And, you know, quite frankly, the jury through four years on campus is still out for guys like Daniel Joseph and and Shane Simmons in terms of what they would look like with a starter's volume of reps. So to me, this is kind of a a, a sneaky, very important move for Shaka Tony to make. I think everyone's going to focus on KJ Handler because of what he means. He was named the team's MVP in the banquet, banquet, but I feel like if you do keep Shaka Tony in this defensive fold, it sets you up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, this is a, an underrated decision in terms of building for 2020 because you're losing Gross Matos, you're losing Robert Windsor, Cam Brown, Jan Johnson, Garrett Taylor, and John Reed, just the starting seniors. Now, you know, I don't know how far the drop-off for some of these places are, but losing two defensive ends is going to hurt anybody. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. I talked to Sean Spencer afterward. Um, you know, he's he, he's confident in those guys that they have, especially the younger guys, Owe and, and Adisa. But as you mentioned, they're raw. They, they, they've got some some rounding out to do. We're going to see where that stands. But really, coming out of this bowl game, you're going to talk about the lingering questions heading into 2020. That defense needs to regroup. I, I don't know what it needs because it is a far cry from what we see. That's the thing. I mean, we, we can talk about the preseason hype and all that stuff for the first Six weeks of the season, they were lights out, I and mean, we they, weren't talking about Journey Brown much either. I mean, it's amazing the the marathon. But, like, but as know, a, I mean, you you can see that with individual players. Sure, as a unit, oh yeah, you don't see it go from what they were to what they became by the end of the season, and that's that that doesn't have you feeling great about 2020. Now, I think this is on paper. Talent-wise, I mean, you, you've got a lot of guys coming back. You got a lot, a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. I think you got a really good team, but still, I mean, you've got to recover from that. You got to be, you got to be that defense in the first half of the season, or else you're not, uh, you're not sniffing the playoff. And what's particularly 
concerning, compelling about that whole defensive development uh, and evolution or whatever you want to call it that happened this year. Uh, it's a staff that has been intact. I mean, this is a staff that has been together for a long time. We've seen a lot of changes on the offensive side of things for Penn State, but this is a group lead, led by Brent Pry and, and down to his assistants at every level that, you know, it, it is a lot of cohesion. And so I think, you know, there's probably going to need to be some honest conversations, maybe some tough conversations. And, they, they you know, certainly no one should feel bad about their talent because we've talked a lot about what they're bringing in on the recruiting trail, what they already have in terms of first, second-year players who are going to try to make that leap into next year. This is not a cupboard as bare situation and how are they going to try to put band-aids on things they've got a lot at their disposal but they certainly uh, are, are exiting the season with a lot more questions than we thought they would be well i mean with with, with ricky going to old dominion i mean twitter is going to turn its attention to brett brent pry oh boy if this continues so we'll see what happens with that by the way some of you guys you got to learn to enjoy football again i just i can't imagine just uh, anyway, moving on. Do you on. still enjoy football, Sean? I, I love football, okay. man. I, I don't don't complain about after every play, <laughs> so it kind of keeps my heart intact. And yeah, but uh, offensively, the quarterback development obviously the biggest thing coming out of the season. Uh, Kirk Shirock is going to have his work cut out for him. The way that uh, Sean Clifford finished the season, probably not a ton of confidence right there. But uh, you know, I think that, that that he can do that. He's got a track record. He's worked his way with quarterbacks before. I mean, that's the thing about an offense. A fresh start can really help anybody. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, that's one through four with the, this quarterback group, too. I mean, I, and I know they're going to get Micah Bowens, but I think it goes beyond Sean Clifford. They have work to do in refining this group. I think we, we know that about Will Levis, Will Levis as a passer. And, hey, look, this is, you know, this is why you go after a guy like Kirk Shiraka. The track record is very strong. And, again, if, if you can have some you know, serious jump in what Sean Clifford is able to do next year, I think this team is going to be very difficult to contend with. And we talked about this before the podcast. Coming into the season, they were ranked fourth among Big Ten teams behind Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin. I have a hard time you know, evaluating where they are right now unless there's some major changes and, and, and across the conference. Seeing them be not being the number two team next year, I think you got to give that, that tip of the cap to Ohio State once again. But uh, to me, Penn State's probably that number two team when we look way ahead uh, here early. Yeah, the expectations are going to be high. I mean, it's a talented roster. But, yeah, it goes back to that. Uh, the passing game as a whole, and we, we single out Clifford because, obviously, he's he's the main cog in that. But the passing game as a whole needs to continue improving its consistency. At times this season, they were able to string together some catches, string together some uh, you know some productive drives through the air. I think we saw them try to establish that uh, this uh, this afternoon or this morning or whatever the hell time it is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they they were not able to do that. Clifford, uh, of course, you know started feeling a little bit of that pressure, and then all of a sudden you got what you got, which was eleven of twenty for one hundred thirty three yards. So that passing game consistency, it's gonna you know it's gonna reflect on Sean Clifford, but. From top to bottom in that passing game needs to needs to improve, um, and that's uh, you know that's saying something. I mean, you're not sure if you're going to get Hamler back or not, so you're not sure if you're going to have a go-to guy. Jahan Dotson stepped up today. Daniel George led the team in targets today. I don't know if that was a message to any uh, former ex receivers, but uh, he was thrown to five times six if you include a, a, a penalty, uh, or one that got called back. And it wasn't penalty. a clean game for Daniel, and, and I, you know, Not so much, he's no. got a big offseason ahead of him, and we don't know what to make of, of Matt Kippenhammer right now. And, and um, the Weston Carr grad transfer thing happened, and now it's done, and you didn't really get much out of that situation. Cam Sullivan Brown's been dealing with injuries. You didn't see really any of John Dunmore and TJ Jones, and Hey, Keandre Lambert, Jaden Dotton joining the bunch in a couple weeks. And 
I, hey, throw a bunch of guys at the wall because your guess is as good as mine. It's it's really just about as mysterious as it was last year. And you think about KJ Hamler leaving, and uh, yeah, it's going to be something interesting to to watch. And next game, Sean, September twenty twenty, Kent State comes to town. We're going to have a lot of podcasts between now and then. Next week, though, uh, we're planning on, on diving a little bit deeper into the offensive coordinator hire. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Ryan Burns from uh, Gopher Illustrated is going to join us to talk about uh, what he saw from Kirk Shiraka, uh with the Gophers this year. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more recruiting. We'll do a little bit more as this uh, as we get back to State College and get back into the swing of things. I think but we'll have some clarity on the NFL draft situation, I would imagine. We should, <laughs> yeah. And I think this actually may be the last episode of the decade. I'm looking at this. and Oh, my. Yeah, that's big, big time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's about it from, from Texas for us. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the, the post-game podcast ex- experience over the course of the year. It's a lot easier doing this sitting in, in a hotel room with, with Sean than it is trying to orchestrate it from a thousand miles away or so. So been fun, whether it was late at night or, or afternoon. And uh, So we're going to get back to the hospitality suite. And, uh, get back we're gonna... to disrespecting Clemson and Ohio State because <laughs> that's what everybody in the media does. So. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, that should be about it. Thanks for following along. Uh, certainly a fun bowl season for Penn State. Again, 11-2. and two. Going to be a top 10 finish. So, hey, let's enjoy some football. Absolutely. Well, for now, stepping away, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, thanks as always for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. And if we don't talk to you, have a very good start to your 2020.